Welcome to Spin It On Sports, where we take a look at athletes that have found a way to spin life in their direction. We explore their personal journeys, taking a closer look into how they've pivoted their career as a professional athlete or coach into another existence. Whether it be entrepreneurship, philanthropy, technology, coaching, ownership, leadership, or finding ways to give back to the next generation, these acclaimed individuals have leveraged invaluable lessons learned from their playing or coaching days and are now making a positive impact and serve as an inspiration to many. Spin It On Sports provides a raw and unfiltered platform to bring you their stories of perseverance, overcoming obstacles, and the keys to their newfound success. Today I'm speaking with former NFL football player turned serial entrepreneur Chris Gronkowski. Chris is no stranger to hard work and perseverance. After going undrafted in the 2010 NFL Draft, he was not only signed by the Dallas Cowboys, but also made the 53-man roster. In addition to the Cowboys, Chris went on to play for the Colts, Broncos, and Chargers during his NFL career. As the saying goes, when one door closes, another one opens. And that was the case for Chris when he found himself a former professional athlete turned entrepreneur. From the NFL to doing a deal with Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez on Shark Tank, Chris has truly made a name for himself in the entrepreneurship arena. On this Spin It On Sports episode, we'll take an intimate look into Chris's journey and how he made the successful transition into entrepreneurship, what obstacles and challenges he faced along the way, and his secrets to spinning life in his direction after the game of football. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so excited about this. So something really funny, maybe about two or three years ago, my oldest son was home from college and we were watching something on TV and um, we saw this man walking around with some boys and a whole bunch of beds and rooms. <laughs> and I was what were you watching. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What was that? And so I started looking, I started watching this more closely and I guess it was your family and you guys shared space and your dad never had a problem with it. So I have two questions. Number one, how many brothers do you have? And did you guys all really sleep in the same room? Wow. Yeah. So five boys, grew up five boys. Um, yeah, it was a four bedroom house. We grew up with bunk beds. Yeah, we were crazy. So anything could have happened at that point. Any sisters? No sisters. Five boys. I think my mom kept trying. I think my name was supposed to be Christina. But it, just, <laughs> it just didn't work out. So... She said after the third, she just stopped making up girl names and uh, just two more boys came. Gosh, your mother. I literally want to hug her and kiss her like 13 times. I have two and I would die if I had five. <laughs> yeah, it, it's intense. I got I got three boys now. I actually have a girl on the way as well. So oh, congratulations. Yeah. So it's, it's about to get crazy over here. But um, three's a lot. And, and my kids are like probably normal size, whereas we weren't really normal size growing up. And we we're, I would probably say a lot more aggressive and a little crazier. So yeah, my mom, it, it, when I think about it, like it was like more than a full-time job. Plus she did all this without a cell phone, which I think is like the most insane thing ever. Like no technology, no cell phone. Like she used to handwrite on the calendar, all of our games and practices. And then, you know, she had to then find a way to call like the neighbor or the coach or like someone else on the team to pick up some of us because she physically couldn't drive all five of us to practice every day. So it was kind of like this massive juggling act. Every right. That's day. what I was going to say. Just purely logistically. I mean, just, you know, if one of you guys had to come home early from school because you're sick or practice got canceled, it's literally like, oh, my God, what do I do? Because my entire day is crazy. Yeah. And then you had to change all that without being able to email someone or, or even call them on the phone. Like you got to call them from the house phone. You, know, you, <laughs> yeah. you got to figure that out. So I always ask my mom, I'm like, how'd you possibly do that? And, and she was never late. Like she always was on time. She made every meal for us. She cooked breakfast. She packed our lunches for us. We didn't go out to eat because uh, we were so crazy that it wasn't really even possible. Plus, we didn't have any money. So uh, my mom was also you know, clipping coupons and, and trying to do everything possible. We all passed out all of our clothes. She sewed our socks back together. Like we had socks that were stoned from the older brother. <laughs> and then uh, even like the sweatpants, like we put huge holes in the sweatpants playing, uh, you know, mini sticks in the basement it was a game we played where you run around basically on your knees and sew them back up and the next bro got the same pair of sweatpants. That's fabulous. I mean, literally, I, this is the greatest thing because, you know, you, you get to talk to to athletes like you and then really hear how it was growing up. Like, it's the best thing ever. And I hope you get your mom so many incredible presents like all year round. 
Yeah, it's unbelievable what what she did for us. And uh, it is. You just it realize it a- more and more every year as you get older. It, it just becomes more impressive as you as you have kids yourself and. You really appreciate everything your parents did for you. So tell me about how much fighting was there, like real fighting, like as you guys got through middle school and high school and you guys are pissed and competitive and everything else. Like how many times did mom or dad have to like get in between you guys? Yes, it was a pretty good rule in the house. If you had a problem with someone, we were allowed to fight each other as long as we didn't punch each other in the face or punch each other below the waist was kind of the rule. So my dad actually made up a game. Uh, We call it Zoom Zoom where you take the, the pillows off the couch and you hold them in front of them or you like put it and tuck it in your shirt if you could fit it. And then you just run full speed at each other until you knock the guy on the ground. And then we'd all dogpile on each other and just, you know, just go crazy. But um, it was a, way, a great way to get our aggression out and, you know, not hurt each other either. So that was kind of the rules it was like, hey, you guys want to brawl? Like, go brawl. You know, just don't punch each other in the face and get the energy out and uh, we're good to go. So every day. That's I ended in a fight. so funny. Wow. Every day. That's every day ended a fight. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, no, Stephanie, it wasn't like five or six times. It was really every single day. <laughs> every day. Like if you beat your bro in something, he'd be pissed and you get in a fight. And if you lost or you'd be pissed, you get in a fight. So it didn't matter. <laughs> At some point in the day, you were fighting one of your brothers. Gosh, that's amazing. I'm just very thankful that I have two and they're far enough apart that they aren't punching each other yet. I'm waiting <laughs> for the day. I'm just waiting for the day. <laughs> So, so you were draft. You weren't drafted in 2010, but you still made it into the league. Literally, just hard work and perseverance. A team that doesn't really have a rich history of keeping undrafted rookies, and you stayed. What got you there, and what kept you there? Yeah, that's a um, great question. So, I, a couple things. I think uh, first one was the fact that I got. I actually got roomed with uh, one of my college roommates, and so ended up being uh, undrafted. He was also undrafted. His name was Phil Costa. Uh, we kind of made this pack on day one, like, hey, man, we're going to do everything we can to make this team. So having someone as an accountability partner that's going through it with you is huge. Uh, we both ended up making the roster that year. He went on and played another three or four years with the Cowboys, uh, ended up leaving the game because of injuries. But the second thing that really pushed me was just I really had this mentality that I couldn't like there was no option for me to fail because. My three other brothers, including my younger brother, had just been drafted. You know, they all drafted. I was the only one in the family that hadn't been drafted yet. So to me, it was like, hey, I don't want to hear about this for the rest of my life. Like, hey, what, what happened to you? Why were you the only brother that didn't make it? Uh, so I, I had this mindset that, that there was no option for me to fail. So everything I did that summer to get ready for it you know, was all out. I was doing everything I possibly could to, to make that team. There was no breaks. Food, training, everything was all out every single day. And I was in by far in the best shape I've ever been in in my life and really wanted to set myself up for the best opportunity I could to make that team. Wow. So tell me about your mindset. Like we always talk about, you know, one of the biggest things we always talk about with athletes is their physical um, regime. Like what's their routine, their morning routine, their afternoon routine, their workouts, their trainings, just their team routine. But what's your mindset when you're going through this? Because like you said, all your brothers are drafted and you're like kind of hanging out going, this sucks. Yeah. I mean, at first for me, I would say like, you got to build your confidence up. You know, I was undrafted, never thought I should be there. You know, I was told it was a one in a million shot from day one, from when I was little. And I wasn't even the best in my own family. I wasn't even the second best in my own family. So uh, it always kind of felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. So I had to really just, you have to put the work in all day, every single day. And if you do, and you know, you do, and you do it to the best of your ability, you start building that confidence up. And all of a sudden, you know, you're competing with the guys that were drafted, the guys that were drafted second round and you know, you're beating them in sprints, you're, you're beating them in the weight room and you know, that confidence starts to build up. So that's when the mindset starts to change as well. And it's, it goes from, Hey, I'm not supposed to be here to, Hey, yeah, I should be here. I put the work in. Why should I not be on this team? So that's when my mindset changed that, you know, that, and that's how I did it was just showing up each and every day and putting that work in. And only, you know, that you put in your max effort is what it comes down to. So if you don't, you know, you're never going to build to that level. But if you do, you're going to get that confidence. And confidence is a huge game changer. But once you have it, you know, the swag, everything comes with it and you start performing. So I think that's when things changed was probably halfway through that summer when I realized that I could compete at the same level as the guys that were in my draft class that went, you know, first, second, third round. So let's talk about the off days. So let's talk about when you're experiencing fear or self-doubt. Um, you know, because obviously every single person feels like that, especially when you're performing at the level that you're at. 
what, when you felt it, when you, whatever it was, whatever that self-doubt was, whatever that fear was, when you felt it, what did you do to kind of get through it? For me, I would usually reach out to family and friends. It was good, again, like having my teammate with me, having my roommate with me from, from college. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we just talked to each other about it. And it's like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, how can I get better here? We'd actually sit there and take snaps in the hallway of our hotel room. So we, we, uh, we stayed in the extended stay hotel for the entire summer. So after a bad practice or something like that, you know, Phil would sit there and, and give me, you know, snap to me in the hallway because he had a bad snap during, during practice. So mm. I, I think that was huge. Again, just having someone that wasn't just an accountability partner, but they're doing it with you. They're at that same level with you. Exactly. You're, you're pushing each other to that next level. It's that support and that camaraderie, you know, where you just, you're willing to just keep working. Even if you got all the plays right and he didn't, you guys just keep working. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So it all comes to an end and you're moving on to a second phase in your life. Are you like, holy crap, what am I going to do? Or did you start to plan for it? Uh, I think I was planning for it from day one. <laughs> You're uh, like, I was 12. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I really, after my first year, I was like, wow, I actually, I made one year like this. This is incredible. Let's try to get two. And then after the second year, it was like, wow, I have a chance to get vested. And that really became mm -hmm. the goal at that point was let's get vested three years, get the pension, get the retirement benefits healthcare, all that. And then, you know, let's, let's use that money to go to the next level. Cause I knew it wasn't going to last long for me. So ended up getting four credited seasons at the end of it. And then for me, it wasn't on purpose. I had other plans. I actually had an accounting degree and I thought I was going to kind of do this whole tax thing. You know, I, I realized that my second year in the league, I'm like, Hey, I'm doing my own taxes, but all the guys on my team have never filed taxes to the rookies, at least have never filed a lot of guys just hate it. Some guys weren't even filing, even though we, we got all this money back. I know, it's crazy. And, uh, and I'm sitting there like, you know, I'm getting in the first year I did, I actually had a CPA do it for me and I got charged thousands of dollars. And I'm like, this is not that hard. Like there, there is a whole computer program that just you input your W2 and it fills out everything for you. And then you go to the next state and it's kind of the same thing. And you allocate what money goes to what state and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like once you do it, it's really not that complicated. So realize that, you know, there's really no tax write-offs either because we make so much money as an athlete. Everyone thinks like athletes don't pay tax for some reason, but it's really the exact opposite. You get absolutely crushed and you pay in every state that you play in. But um, going through that whole process, I was like, wow, there's a huge opportunity here. I could come in, the players will trust me because I'm a former player. I could just put it in their, you know, their inboxes and, um, you know, I could start doing the taxes for all the players. Kind of be a, uh, just a one time of the year job too. I was like, this would be awesome. I'll, I'll do right. three months, rack in some cash and then, uh, you know, go on to the whatever else I wanted to do. So it's actually really interesting that you said that going off topic for a second. I have a, a dear friend who played in Major League Baseball and he did the same thing around wealth because he was saying, hey, you know, while your agent is supposed to take care of you and your business manager are supposed to take care of you, once you're done and like there's no endorsements and everything else coming in, you're kind of on your own. You may get a friendly phone call to say, yeah, you can use one of these six people. And he was like, players just don't have any idea how to invest and they're getting all of this money in. They think it may last forever. And then all of a sudden there's an injury and they're out and there's no, there's no wealth process. There's no plan whatsoever. And so he did a little bit more arduous than you because his is obviously annually, but to be able to to go in, Chris, and and talk the talk and actually know exactly what they're experiencing and know how things work out. He just had a massive clientele it, uh, nearly almost when he was finished playing. And he, he also had a degree in finance as well. So I, that's really, that's amazing that you were able to do that. Yeah. And the players are going to trust you because you've right. been there, done that. And, and a lot of people come out of nowhere and they try to just basically take you for your money and you hear all those stories as well. So the trust factor is massive and, and that's why he was able to be super successful with it. So I had that same game plan going out or I guess going into it. And then my third year, uh, three different teams, my wife's traveling with me. She's getting a new job everywhere we go. So that third year, she was like, I am not going for another job interview. I'm going to find a way to work from home. So I was like, cool. As long as you're doing something, I'm good with it, but you better be doing something. You're not just sitting at home doing nothing. So uh, like, I don't know, two or three weeks into the season, uh, she started hand painting wine glasses, opened up an Etsy shop and I would come home and there'd be glasses in my, in my oven. And I'm like, come on, like I'm, I'm hungry. This is ridiculous, but they started to sell. So, you know, she kind of tapped into this market that I had no idea was there, but it was a huge market. So that year, my, my contract had ended. I was on a three-year rookie contract. I was trying to sign with another team. I ended up signing with the Chargers, but really started looking into this business and, and doing it with her and realized like, this is, this is some good money here. There's some really good margins. No one's really doing it yet. 
so I, I started going all in. We started investing some of my money from football into commercial grade laser engraver, stuff like that. And started doing that for the summer, signed with the chargers, ended up being there for like four or five months, got hurt. And then you know, went back with my wife and I actually worked with her for about five years growing this uh, engraving company. That's incredible. So that, I mean, how fun though, too, to go from this to uh, being an entrepreneur. I mean, you don't strike me at all as having any sort of motivational issues. So I think that, that I bet your wife is super <laughs> happy to have you home too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. My biggest problem was working too much is what I would say. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I took all that same energy from football and just put it right into trying to grow something that I had no idea about. So to me, it, w it was exciting because every day was a challenge. I, I had no clue what I was doing, but every day I figured out something new and I was living on YouTube and you know, just everything you possibly think of that you never thought you needed to know, I, I figured I would figure out. So the business did really well. I was actually making the first three years of the business made more than my first three years in the NFL. So uh, it was a good transition for me. And about five years into it, realized like, you know, I don't even tell people what I do. Uh, it's not like, this isn't me. This isn't my passion. It makes a lot of money for us, but at the end of the day, when someone's like, Hey, Chris, what do you do for a living? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing. I didn't post on social. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I would just grind it out all day. And it was cool. But at the end of the day, after five years, I was like, Hey, yo, I kind of want to do something. That's me. Something that's more into fitness, sports, health, you know, that I grew up doing that I love doing. So, uh, the idea came about for a shaker bottle and, um, saw an opportunity in the market and I jumped on it at that point. So let's go back for one second before we go into the ice shaker. One of the biggest things that I conquer often with, with my clients is the identity crisis after you're done playing. So it, it's happened every, with every single client, um, basketball, hockey, football, and, and baseball. And, and it's this, they think they're ready. They believe they're prepared. They're like, okay, I mean, I, I did great. I played longer than I anticipated. And now I'm going to go do something else. We're financially okay. And I'm going to go find a passion. But the identity, the not being in the stadium, the not picking up tickets, the not training with your team, the camaraderie, a lot of my clients have had a massive identity crisis around this. How did it, how did it work for you? Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. And I see it happen with teammates. I mean, everyone really, at least at some degree, everyone, because that's all you've done your whole life. That's all you right. know. That's what people know you as. And all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. So that's again, going back to like, you know, I told no one what I was doing because <laughs> that wasn't me. Like my identity was still being an athlete and, you know, working out, going to the gym, stuff like that. So when people ask, I just didn't tell them. So for me in the way I kind of avoided it was I just kept busy. I stayed busy the whole time. So I never really thought about, you know, going back or, you know, let's, let's try one more time or anything like that because I was, I was all in with the business. I also tore my hamstring in a tryout oh, when I was trying to come back. So I had a high ankle sprain in camp, took an injury settlement, tried to come back, went to a tryout in Miami and third step into it. I, I ruptured my hamstring. So at that point it was either have surgery and get it repaired or just walk away from the game let it, let it scar down. You know, it's, it's missing. It's not there anymore, but you can still, I can do everything. I, I can't sit there and do hamstring curls all day, but you know, I could go play basketball and all that. And as long as I'm not a professional athlete anymore, it doesn't really matter that much. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me because it was like, Hey, yo, you're good. Like, let's, let's go on to the next stage in life. You're not having surgery again. Like let's, let's just move on. So for me, for me, I, I was ready at that point. And then it, it was kind of one of those things like now you can't go back. Like there's no option. So it was out of my mind completely. So I didn't sit there and think about it. I didn't have to worry about like, oh, what if I just went one more year? I could have you know, won a Super Bowl or something like that because there was no chance anymore for me. You're so, like, so I left good. Stephanie and I was an engraver and I changed my last name and everything was good from there on. <laughs> <laughs> You're like solid. <laughs> so I, I, I consider it pretty lucky because I had something to do right from day one, which was right. the business. And I was, and I physically couldn't go back because of the injury. So to right, me, so it was um, set. There's no chance. Like, yeah, there's no what ifs or anything like that. It was, hey, that stage of your life is over. You know, let's let's go find something else to do now. So it wasn't too bad for me. But yeah, that's 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 kind of how it worked out for me. So I still I still say I'm like the luckiest player ever to transfer over. For sure. Tell me about the ice shaker. Tell me about the idea. Tell me about how you processed it. How did you vet it out? How did you find out there was a market? Like walk me through this idea. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you asked, like, I actually knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had no clue. I had no clue what I was doing. It was an idea, you know, that I was passionate about because I was going to the gym once or twice a day. You know, I was probably working out seven days a week and um, really just came about as an idea. I was, I was 
grabbing my plastic shaker, going to the gym. By the time I got there, sweating, I'd take a sip of it. It was warm. It smelled terrible. And um, Yeti was kind of blowing up at that time. There was cool insulated bottles out there, but there was nothing that you could actually blend or mix powders with. So uh, at that point, I was like, wow, I see there's a great opportunity here. I can't believe no one's done it. I figured I'd just jump on Amazon and find one, but there, there really, at that point, was just nothing like it. So took the simplest idea ever, basically took a cup, an insulated cup, and put a shaker top on it, and that was it. <laughs> and uh, thought it would be super easy. You know, thought it would just be like, oh, cool, now I'll post on you know Twitter, because that was really the only cool, really the only social media at the time. Uh, for athletes. So that was the only place I had a somewhat of a following. I was like, man, I like 1% of people buy it because it's so sweet. Yeah, I'm going to be raking and uh, was completely oblivious to the fact that building a brand and, and a product is a lot harder than, than a couple social media posts. So created the product that yeah, we actually had, we had suppliers we were already working with, with my wife's business. So asked some of them to create the first mock-ups, got the product in hand. It took, it probably took about six months. That was, that was a process that I definitely didn't do the right way either. I kind of just told them like, yo, just, just make this. And you know, my quality control sucks. So the first 10,000 bottles that came, half of them leaked. So I actually had to take every single lid off. I was in this room actually I'm in now and we had to replace every lid because we couldn't tell which ones leaked and which ones didn't. So we had to replace every single one of them, throw 10,000 lids in the garbage and, um, you know, and hand, hand take them off and replace the first 10,000 bottles we sent out. So it was mayhem, but you know, I was super passionate about it. And I was like, you know, I thought it was the coolest idea ever. So just, I just kept going, just kept grinding it out. I just see you sitting like Indian style in your little room going like this with all the little, all the little things, all the, just like, what's everywhere. going on? And it was 10,000 bottles, like in the upstairs of my house, which yeah, that's a lot of weight. So I'm like, I don't even know if this is going to support it up here. Oh and there's just lids everywhere. And um, I had like probably the strongest forearms ever because you know, twisting these lids off all day, every day uh, for hours at a time was, it was a pretty good workout. And your wife is like, and you were complaining about glasses in the oven. Meanwhile, I have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm stacked in a mountain with my husband there. Tell me about Shark Tank. What happened and how did you, how did you pitch that? And what, what happened? Yeah, so we were, I was about six months into it when I actually got on the show, but I guess leading up to that, I kind of had a whole game plan. I had this email, 2012, I was with the Broncos. Drew Rosenhaus, my agent at the time, sends it out to everyone that's, you know, one of it, that's on his roster. And it just says, hey, ABC Shark Tank is looking for any current or former NFL players that might want to come on the show. So me thinking it was the coolest show ever, I'd watch it all the time. I started and was like, one day I'm going to write back to this email. I'm going to have something really cool for them. So flash forward, it was like 2000, I guess it was 2016. So it was like four and a half years later, uh, I hit back this email <laughs> that, I, that I had. And um, the girl was just like, I don't work there anymore, but um, let me see if I can help you out. So she actually did a great job. It was like within like 20 minutes, she found the girl that does work there. And she hit me back and was like, hey, just submit a video. We need a video submission out of you. This is what we want to see. We need to know about the product. You know, and they listed a bunch of things they wanted to see in it too. So at that time I was like, well, this is kind of like my one shot. I got to make this good. So made this super entertaining video. I'm in the gym, like ripping my shirt off the flash into like touchdown passes that I had while in my playing days. And uh, I had Rob join it too. I'm like, Rob, you got to get in on this video, man. Let's, let's do this. So I uh, sent that over to him and um, you send it via YouTube as like an unlisted video. So you could see when they actually watch it. So about five days later, I saw like five views on it. And I'm like, all right, here we go. It's game time. And they hit me back and they were like, that video was awesome. Like That was, that was perfect. Uh, we'd like to move forward with you at this point. And then that was like, hey, there's still 40,000 submissions. So you got to get through, uh, you know, we're, we're going to break it down all the way down to like a hundred people. So if you make it all the way through in the next couple of months, we'll, we'll have you on the show. So it was quite the process. But wow. That is a huge process. Months. About three months going back and forth, due diligence. Like they want to make sure you're legit and uh, you don't have anything on your record or anything like that. So unfortunately, the state of Indiana somehow had said that I never e-filed because you know my CPA wasn't as good as me at, at filing. And um, they actually there was something on there that said I had a lien from the state of Indiana. So they were saying I couldn't go on the show after probably about a week of calling the state of Indiana. We finally got on, and they were like. Oh, hey, sorry. Yeah, you did e-file. We're not sure what happened. We'll get it off your record. <laughs> so and like, you're like, when are you getting it off my record? <laughs> then, then actually they said that we hung up and then uh, Shark Tank was like, hey, we need it on paper. 
you know, even oh, though it's off your record, God. like we need it. So my, my CPA had to call back and sit on the phone for like another, it was like a 24 hours. He had to sit on the phone to get them to answer. So that was quite interesting, but they, it just shows you all the work they do and due diligence to get people on the show. You know, they're not just going to put anyone up there and it's quite the process to actually get to the day of the show. And then even if you get there, sometimes you still don't record, which is pretty crazy. And then even when you record, a lot of times you don't air still. So you finally make it all the way there. 70% of them air, 30% don't, just depending on how well the shows go before you or after you or whatever it is. And it's it's quite the process. It's but, a uh, process for sure. So I heard that the Shark Tank deal took your sales to 20X after it aired. Is that true? Yeah. So I guess the number that we were at before we got on the show was about 80,000 in the first six months. After we aired, we got up to about 3 million um, in the next 12 months. So, but yeah, a lot of it, like right after the show, that first week is, it's just mayhem, absolute mayhem. And it's, it's not just one day. It actually right. kind of spreads out now to one week and then really into a month. And then we went right into the holiday season as well, because we aired in October. So it went October, right into November, right into Christmas, and then right into New Year's resolution. And then in February, I was finally like, wow, that was what a ride. And um, it all just kind of died at that point. And I was like, well, what, what do we do next? <laughs> so, okay. So that's crazy. So 20 X and then it dies. So Chris, when you were doing this, are you thinking about more products and more products and more products? Or are you just really thinking about the ice shaker? Yeah. So at that time, the good thing was, is that we only had one bottle, one size, one color. That was it. So we had one skew and when we actually aired. So because of that reason, it was super easy to pack and manage it. Uh, because right now I have over a hundred SKUs and if we, we went on there now, it, it would have just been mayhem. I, that would have never been able to fulfill all the orders. Like we were able to back then, uh, we actually prepackaged everything in like boxes of one, two, three, four, uh, up to six, just to get ready for the show. So all we had to do was slap labels on at that point, bulk print, slap labels on, we were good to go. But yeah, at that point, what we did was we took the money from the sharks, took the money from all, all the sales that was coming in and just started to build out SKUs. So within the first year, we had 64 different SKUs. And then within two years, we had over 100 different SKUs. So all the money went back into the business. I lived off my wife's money and business for about two and a half years. I never took a penny back, never got paid. I actually invested a lot of my own money into it as well. Uh, and we were making money since day one, but it, we wanted to grow, we wanted to grow as fast as we could. So every penny went back into the company. It, I mean, I paid employees and all that, but me personally, I didn't get a penny back until two and a half years later. So who'd you end up doing the deal with? What shark? I ended up closing with Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez. Wow. Okay. And did they ask you to change anything? Did they like it as it was? What was the grilling process for them? Yeah. So some of the sharks, excluding Mark and Alex, wanted to change the name of the product. So they wanted to call it the ground shaker. They thought there's a lot of value there. I was actually surprised by this because to me as them being marketing experts, it limits, it limits your, really your audience to people that are actually fans of, of the family and the brand. And it's very hard for a Jets fan or a Miami Dolphins fan or a Bills fan to buy a ground shaker. You know? So I, I'm pretty much excluding a whole audience base just because of the name of the product. And I knew it, it would, it would get a bunch of reviews and like, the product would ride waves based on the name if I called it that. So I, I remember Mr. Wonderful's first comment was, hey, I'll invest this amount of money, but we're going to burn all your current stock that says I shake her on it. And I was like, oh, there's, there's no way that's happening. So they didn't ask me. So Mark and Alex, they just asked me to switch to C Corp. It's a lot friendlier for investing. They don't want, they don't want the phantom income. Uh, if we're trying to grow, it helps a lot as well. So um, at first I didn't, I was like, why are we doing this? But definitely understood after we did it, why we put that in place. So that's really the only change for the most part that they, they made me do. And then what we did instead of changing the name was we just came out with a custom limited edition Grok shaker instead. Uh, so we, we made a bottle specifically for that audience. We charged more for it. We brought it in a limited edition and it worked great. You know, it, there wasn't as many people as you would have thought because, you know, every comment after the show to me was like, you're an idiot. Why don't you change the name? You know, so I just get blasted all day on social, like calling me an idiot for not changing the name. And then you're like, I can't deal with you right now. I'm busy changing <laughs> lids on cut on, on bottles. Okay. I'll get back to you. <laughs> you're no, like, those, no, those were, those were gone by then. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I got trolled for like probably a year about not changing the name. And then we, we came out the limited edition instead and it was all cool after that. So everything worked out. It, I'm glad I didn't change the name because there was also a lot of people that when we came out with the limited edition, were like what makes the grok shaker better than the rest of them? And I was like, well, it's the same bottle. It just has, it just says grok shaker on it. So I had a lot of those questions too. Cause I mean, not everyone's a sports fan. So 
it's not going to help if people don't know and actually ended up causing a lot more questions and uh, a lot of phone calls as well for people that didn't know what the grog shaker was. So uh, pretty funny, pretty funny that they, they thought that was like the end all if I didn't change the name. So Chris, you three kids, another one on the way. What yeah, are their ages? Probably, probably hear some of them now. So I know. I'm like, I was, that's why I like just switched. I was like, okay, let's do this. How old are they? So the oldest just turned five, uh, second oldest is three and then one and then, um, newborn coming in June. So congratulations. Uh, at the age of five. Yeah. It's Your wife is a quick. trooper. Hey, I was good with two. I was good with three. You know, she wanted to keep going. So she wanted the girl. Was, wasn't wasn't me pushing for it. So you have the ice shaker. You have multiple ventures with your brother. You have a fitness business. You have three kids, one on the way. You're incredibly busy. You're incredibly gracious with your time. How do you keep it all together? <laughs> well, that's that's one of the secrets. Um, it actually took me a while to to figure this out and really put it in place. But you know, as an athlete, you think like, hey, I've been in these amazing teams, organizations. That's just going to transfer over after, right? But it wasn't the case at all. I was super competitive. When I started this company, uh, and even my wife's company was the same way, I would be working all day, every day. You know, I, I felt like it was mine. I felt like I had to do it. I felt like no one else could do it as good as I could. Uh, so we didn't we didn't hire for a long time. I would just work out of my own house with my wife, laser engraving out of the house for like 12 hours a day. And I wake up and do the same thing. And uh, all weekend, Saturday, Sunday, everything. So what's really helped, it's kind of forced me once I had kids was to build a team and to take that same structure that I saw in the NFL and incorporate it into business. And it's the greatest thing that ever happened because now I have that locker room feel back. You know, it feels like I'm a part of a team again and I want everyone to feel like that. So, you know, we found different ways to really make everyone feel like they're a part of the team as well. And they all have a say, you know, they're now, and how the structure works now is, you know, I'm now the coach, I'm not the player anymore. We have assistant coaches, we have players, and we find ways to, to really make everyone a part of the team. So ever since uh, the pandemic hit, I had to figure that out. And once I implemented it, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, I was so worn down before. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Like you'd look at me and be like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Let me just uh, take one more uh, energy drink real quick because I couldn't even keep my eyes open. So, and that's how it was before. And, and now it's like, you know, everyone plays their role. And what I didn't understand was you know, I felt like I was doing them a disservice. Like, hey, can you do this for me? And, and I felt bad about it because I felt like that was something I should be doing. Yeah. And then once I did it, my team was like, yeah, thanks, man. Like, I love doing this. I love being a part of it. You know, I feel like I'm a part of the team now. And I'm like, wow, I guess I never even looked at it like that. But I wasn't giving anyone responsibility. So they felt like, you know, they didn't know what to do. They felt like they weren't a part of it. And once I did and I delegated that responsibility, they're like, yo, let's do this together. You know, now we're a team. Let's let's crush it together. So anyone listening that's kind of in that spot where I am, that is super competitive and feels like you could do it better than everyone else. Maybe you can at first, but once you grow and you want to scale and get to that next level, you have to have a team. You have to have people that you can count on. You know, that's one of the things that Dave Meltzer and I talk about like all the time because you do, you feel like you, for me, this is my third company I founded and I always felt like, well, I, I did all the research. I did all the vetting. I started it foundationally, but just like you, I have four kids. I was exhausted all of the time. Was I really the best one to do the job? Like, was I really? And once I started relinquishing that control, once I started really thoughtfully building those teams, the emails that I would get, Chris, or the letters, just like, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for having so much value in me. You know, thank you for building this. You know, I've never felt this way at work. Innovation is so incredible. The accolades and the thankfulness. And, and like you, early on when I started my first company, I hadn't even really processed it like that. I was just trying to like not bury people and bog people down. And I was trying to do everything myself. So I think that's extremely beneficial for our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. The faster you get to that point, <laughs> the better everyone's going to be. So my dad, my dad's been in business for 32 years. He probably told me that a hundred times before yeah. I actually like listened. I'm like, right. wow, you're right, dad. He's like, why, why are you still doing customer service? How are you still shipping stuff? How are you engraving it? Like, how are you up at 4 a.m. doing this? Like, wh where's your team? Like, how are you going to grow this thing? And you know, finally, um, after three years, I called them back up and I was like, what else can you tell me? <laughs> exactly. Let's have this conversation. Let's do it all over again. And, um, and we did. And, and he told me a bunch of different things that really took him to the next level. And um, now I call him all the time and I'm like, what else? You know, he has 200 employees. I'm like, you know, what, what else do you do? How do you keep everyone happy? You know, how do you keep everyone alive? Like what, what else you got for me? So 
uh, it's, it's pretty cool to have that and, and to be able to lean on my dad to uh, really help with some advice now at this point. And I'm sure he appreciates that you finally listened. <laughs> exactly. He's definitely willing to help. And um, it, it just took me a while. I mean, you, at first, you got to grind it out and, and you got to have the data to also build on. So, you know, year one, you can't sit there and say like, hey, yeah, go hire a bunch of people and here's your budget and forecast when you really don't know. So there is a point where you do have to grind it out. But then there's a point where you also need to listen and take advice from someone who's been there, done that, and knows how to do it the right way. So I waited too long is what it came down to. Like I should have took that advice probably year two, maybe year like two and a half, instead of waiting till you know, I was absolutely buried and, and, and was forced to, to take that advice. Well, I'm sure everybody's really happy that you listen now because I see you guys are thriving. My team tells me that you're super active on TikTok. How important oh, yeah. is it? Being on TikTok, the brand, the building awareness, the sales. Talk to me about your strategy is. Again, wasn't wasn't a strategy I had at first, but <laughs> I got challenged. I had a podcast, I had a kid come on. He was an expert on TikTok. He was actually a college dropout. And um, he was like, man, I have like 600,000 followers. I reach millions of people every week. And I have nothing to really tell them like you do. You know, you have these cool stories, all this behind the scenes. Why don't you just go on there and, and tell some stories, like tell people some stuff that they would find interesting that only you know. So I did for 30 days and um, I grew 350,000 followers and, and reached about 50 million people in those 30 days. So uh, it was the greatest challenge that ever happened oh my to me God. because it, it, it then showed me the power of, of social media and, and really showed me how to do it the right way. You know, lead with value, become an expert in, in the field that you're good at, that you're passionate about. And then after that, now you have the trust of your audience, you can ask them for favors if you need them. You know, I don't ever really directly sell, but if I ever need help or, you know, that get the opportunity to, to put my product in front of people, I do. And what happened with that is, you know, I, I, I built value and then people wanted to know more about my life. So they would start asking organically, hey, Chris, what do you do now? You know, what is Ice Shaker? What was Shark Tank like? And it just gave me opportunities to go right into talking about the business instead of me coming out and just saying, Hey, buy this. It was now, Hey, this is why I did this. I'm answering your questions because you guys are interested in what I do now. And, um, just super, super organic way to build an audience where people are going to buy, they're going to automatically buy because you took so much time to help answer their questions and, and bring them value. Well, and it's also, like you said, authenticity and vulnerability and just being organic and being honest. And I, people connect so deeply to that. Um, and I think that that's absolutely incredible. Tell me about your biggest entrepreneurial mistake. Ooh, biggest mistake. Um, I mean, pretty much my first three years <laughs> in business. <laughs> You're uh, like, Stephanie, did you not I hear about say, the lids? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was right off the bat. I mean, definitely, first off, just, just hiring and, and bringing the team on was big. I would say my biggest mistake also early on is who you hire. What you do is, and what I did at least is, you know, you go right for family and friends. You don't go for the person that's the best qualified or the most qualified and you're scared to bring on anyone else because you don't trust people with your business at first. So I would say that's a mistake all day, every day. I mean, you might have some family members and friends that are qualified, but you've got to vet them out and you've got to put them against other people and, and, and really figure out if they are the best qualified for that position, if they are awesome, but also separate, you know, business from family and make sure that there's a clear distinction there that, Hey, you're here for this job. You're the same as every other employee here. And, you know, you're not just going to go home early or, you know, kind of get special treatment because of your family. So I think that was that the happened. conversation. You had to have that conversation <laughs> with Rob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got fired <laughs> the first day. <laughs> you're like, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah. We, we had him come in and yeah, we, we actually made a video about it. Um, yeah, obviously it was just for fun, but uh, yeah, we fired him after one day. He was, he was a terrible employee. Bad attitude. But, uh, <laughs> really, really needed to like work it out. <laughs> We just kept spiking all the bottles and, you know, we, we couldn't have dents in every single bottle. So we had to fire him that day. That's hysterical. Okay. Who's your favorite brother? <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I mean, growing up, I was the closest. You're always kind of like the closest with the ones that are closest to you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, my brother, Dan was the first one that got a football scholarship. You know, I always looked up to him. He was absolute beast in high school, six, five, two thirty. Uh, wow. so yeah, he was, he was a monster. He's the one who started football for us because he was basically forced to play um, <laughs> at that point. So super close to Dan. He went off to college, actually went to college with him. And then I transferred to Arizona and then Rob ended up coming to Arizona. So, and now the youngest brother, Glenn lives here in Texas and um, we do a lot together. So uh, we're really all 
I, I, I mean, it's hard to pick which one's the favorite. My oldest brother, Gordy, I, I talked to all the time. I just got off the phone with him. Uh, he's still partying, living his life up. So I kind of I kind of live through him now, now that, that I, I can't really go out and party like he does. So it, it's just, it's fun. What's cool about what we got going on is that we all work in the sports and fitness, you know, kind of arena, but we don't work together, you know? So we're not on top of each other. We're not in the same business. You know, my brother Gordy works for my dad's business, but he's, you know, the, the New England rep. My brother Dan does some marketing for them. So, you know, they're not talking to each other every day. They're not on top of each other. I'm doing my own thing. You know, Glenn's doing his own thing, but we all help each other out. So we're on calls almost every day saying like, hey, bro, what do you got here in this industry or this person or something like that? And we're all connecting because we're all in health and fitness in some way, some way, shape or form. So we're always doing stuff together, but we're not managing each other, which is awesome. Your parents must be so proud of all of you just maintaining the closeness and and the connection that you guys have, even, you know, through, like you said, even through roughhousing and even through beating each other up, that you guys have all maintained to be so close together. What is a family vacation like with all of you? Uh, we don't get many of those lately, but growing up, I mean, ever <laughs> since really left for college, we, we haven't been able to because of sports. Um, you know, once Rob retires or when he did, uh, we did do some stuff together. We all went to the Bahamas for my mom's 60th birthday. Um, stuff like that. But growing up as a family vacation was just insane. We'd actually get in the van. We had a conversion van and we'd usually drive to Myrtle Beach. We drove to Myrtle Beach for like 15 years in a row and it was like 14 hours and um, like seven hours we'd fight in the back. And <laughs> my parents were like, we're never doing right. this again. <laughs> and then we do it the next year though, somehow. And I don't know how they put, they would drive straight through too. Like there was no Oh my God, just, Chris. <laughs> We couldn't get a hotel or like stop or anything like that. So just 14 hours straight, get there. They release us and we just went mayhem for like, you know, seven days straight or whatever it was. And then they throw us back in the, the conversion van and get us home. But that's, yeah, it, it was crazy. I don't know how my parents did it, but right. nowadays, no way. It's definitely, definitely more chill now. Um, and not as, not as many fights. <laughs> So we have we have a mix of audience. Most of our audience is entrepreneurs and executives. They've either founded a company or maybe one or two, um, or they are executives or athletes. What is the best piece of advice for somebody starting right now who maybe is leaving a team or has just left a team? Because, you know, we also have to talk about how many people try and take advantage. You know, what's the best piece of advice that you can give for them wanting to vet an idea and start a business? Yeah, for sure. So I always started everything as side hustles was kind of how I did it. So I found something that I liked or I thought was like a really good idea. And then I, then I start on it as a side hustle. And that's what I did with iShaker. Like, you know, I was still working full time with my wife, you know, doing the whole thing. And um, I wanted to make sure first, like the other people <laughs> actually wanted it, that would actually work. And there was actually something there that was sustainable that would actually make money on. So the way I did it was in my advice is start as a side hustle and start with something that you're super passionate about. You know, for me, I was working out, was going to the gym, health and fitness. I wanted to find a way to get back into it. I didn't think it would be through a shaker bottle. You know, I really <laughs> had no clue, but that's what it ended up being. So uh, I was super passionate about it. If I wasn't, I would have gave up when I got those 10,000 bottles where I had to change out, you know, 5,000 lids because it wasn't about the money. I didn't need the money. You know, it was the fact that I was super passionate about this. I wanted it to work. I wasn't going to give up on it because, you know, this was my baby. I created it. I was, I was all in on it. So if it's just for the money, if you're like, hey, you know, if I'd started it because I just thought I'd make a lot of money doing it, it would have been over after that first shipment. So passionate about it, start as a side hustle. Once it gets there, go all in and start building a team as soon as you can. You know, start putting those pieces in place, that structure and that path. You know, I think one of the worst things I did too was I didn't have a game plan. Like there's no path. Uh, I didn't have a roadmap at all. It was just, hey, whatever happens today, happens today kind of thing. Uh, now it's, you know, it's all about game planning. I live by my calendar. I live by my game plan. Uh, we have a monthly game plan. Everyone has goals as well. I, I think one of the biggest things for anyone is that it doesn't matter how much you pay them. If they don't have a goal, they're going to be miserable at some point. It doesn't like you could pay them, uh, you could pay them a million, but at some point millions, not going to keep them happy. But you know, if you paid them 150 K and you said, Hey, you know, uh, if you get this, 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 you have a chance to make a million dollars and they only get up to half a million. They're still going to be like, man, I crushed it this year. You know, I, I hit half like this is like a, a massive win for me. I feel like I won the lottery and all of a sudden everything changes. And, and that's how I am, too. And that's, if you think about everyone, that's how you're wired. You're wired to win. And if you can't win and there's no way to win, 
you're eventually going to give up on it. So uh, that's that's just reading kind of goes back to my dad kind of taught me how he, everyone's incentivized in his business. Uh, I read a book, uh, EOS Systems uh, by Gina Wickman. Great book. Uh, when I first read it, I actually was like, there's no chance. Like, there's no chance I'm implementing any of this. I didn't implement any of it. I had to go back like two years later and be like, oh, this all makes sense to me now, two years later. So, uh, but when I first read it, I'm like, how, how do I incentivize, you know, a, a person who's working at a desk, you know, that that's, you know, putting in orders for me or customer service and, you know, whatever it is. But now everything I look at, I try to find a way in some way, shape or form to incentivize them and make them feel like they're part of the team. So once we did that, again, that locker room feel just, just came back. And, and that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to touch on. That's so crucial, that team feeling, because you really hit the nail on the head. Whenever I, whenever I coach people, athletes are very different to coach than executives, but it all comes down to measurement of success. So what is your measurement of success? And, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't judge anybody. So I don't judge anybody at all. If their measurement of success is money, that's what we'll do. If your measurement of success is recognition or relevance, that's what we'll do. If it's adding more SKUs, that's what we'll do. So it doesn't matter to me what it is, but they have to have a purpose and they have to understand why they're there. 100%. And they got to they gotta find, a, they have to have a way to get better too. It's exactly. I've always seen it. If they're stale, they're in the same spot. There's no way to get to the next level. You know, a lot of people are just going to, you know, they're going to give up at some point. What kind of a parent are you? Uh, I, I try to be a good one, but man, these, there's a couple of things that, that frustrate me. I mean, first off, like growing up, my parents made us earn everything. They gave us nothing. They couldn't give us anything at first, but once they could, they still gave us nothing. And my hardest challenge right now is the fact that I can give my kids whatever they want. You know, it, it's hard to say no. Uh, it's, it's hard to not give them it because you want to, and you can. So that's what I'm finding a challenge with right now myself is, you know, how do I make these kids earn everything they have? Second thing is the, the iPads, iPhones, all that. Like you can say whatever you want when you don't have kids, but once you have kids, it's hard to take that stuff away from them. I mean, it's, it's a challenge for sure. So, um, you know, we didn't grow up with iPads. I figured like, Hey, these kids are going to be outside playing all day kind of thing. And they love iPads. It's really easy to give them an iPad or an iPhone. So. Right. Cause um, they're screaming brutal murder and like freaking out, losing their, and you stick it in front of them. They're quiet all of a sudden you're like, all I can the, think again. The, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's so much going on and I try to pull away like one, right when, you know, five o'clock comes, I try to pull away. Uh, you know, I'll coach baseball with them. Uh, I'll coach them in the backyard, all that stuff as well. So I try to do as much as I can read books to them as well. But um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's definitely a lot of work and obviously you don't consider it work, but um, at the end of the day, it takes a lot of your time as entrepreneur at first, like it drove me crazy because I didn't have the patience. Like I was like, oh, right. I can sit here and, and give the kid a bottle or I can get like, you know, an hour's worth of work done. And, yeah. <laughs> and so it taught me patience really quick every year. I mean, I think I get better and better at it, but um, I'm, I'm still jealous. Like I, I feel like my parents just like had it down from day one. So I'm still like, you know, teach me some <laughs> tips. Like, how are you so good at this? It's so interesting that you say that though, because I have four. Okay. My oldest is 27 and then my youngest is 12. And it is as a parent, I felt like I had it dialed with her and I, and I worked full time and I, you know, there was, I, I barely had a cell phone because I couldn't really afford one. She had every sport. She had soccer. She had dance. She had horseback riding. She had everything. I had a full-time job. I was an executive, very young, 26 years old. I was a director of a publicly traded company. So I had a big job and I was a single mom and I had a lot. But I just felt like it was easier with no technology. I felt like no was no and there was nowhere else you could go. Like that was just it. It was just no. And I feel like the constant stimulation for them is really difficult. It's difficult for them and it's difficult for me. So I, I completely agree with you. And if you just said right now that, you know, it shouldn't be work, you just wait till that little girl comes and you, <laughs> I want to talk to you about you not buying things for her. You can come back on in about another year. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool with the girl stuff. It's, it's, the, it's the boys. I already know that's especially because it's the youngest too. So you're there's no done. Chance. There's no chance. Like I, she's getting whatever she wants, but the boys, they, that's a different story. Amazing. So, um, Chris, our time is coming to a close. I wanted to ask one more question from you. You know that our whole entire show is based on obstacles and opportunities. What is the biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, my biggest obstacle I would say I overcame was, you know, being undrafted and making it to the NFL, you know, and then taking that and leveraging that really into business. You know, the opportunities you have as an NFL player are unlimited if guys take advantage of it. 
know, I can get the door open every single time. And if I actually show up and I bring something of value, it's a home run every time. So that's, that's how I see it. Uh, and guys that aren't successful and you hear all the bankruptcy stories and all that stuff, it's, they're, they're just, they're not putting the same effort they put in to get to the NFL. You know, it took, if you think about it, like I broke this down on a TikTok post. You might have saw it. But this is um, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm heading to the airport right now. All I'm going to do is just you're going to see who's that stalker on TikTok. Binge, I'm going to be watching. like <laughs> binge watching Chris. <laughs> but if you think about it and, and kind of how I broke it down to put it in perspective is you basically work for free or as an intern for, you know, 10 years to get this dream job that you have a 2% chance of getting. And once you get it, you make a lot of money, but it's probably not going to last long. And it's going to be probably the most dangerous and stressful job you ever have. And then at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, that's the life football player. And everyone's like, what? Like, oh, I thought you were talking about something else. Like, I like, no, like, think about it. So then take that same type of effort and put it into business and you're going to be successful. So, you know, guys just don't want to do it. They don't want to start over. They don't want to put that same effort in. They feel entitled. They don't want to make $50,000 to start with after they're making, you know, 100K a week. So it's hard to start over it. It makes sense. And um, that's really where it comes from. So put that same effort in. You're going to be be successful. You're going to overcome all the obstacles in your way. And you're just you're starting over again, which it's part of life at this point. And you see a lot of guys that take that same mentality and they're super successful in business as well. Chris, thank you so much for all of your time. It has been so fun and so valuable to hear from you and hear kind of your process and, and how you took your career to the next level. It's been just so fascinating and I know our listeners will love it. How do people follow you and find you and stalk you and all of those really good, wonderful things? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. No, no. Ask me questions is what I love. So check me out on social media. I answer a lot of the Q and A's. If you just write it in my comments, I I try to at least answer a couple a week, usually one a day when I'm when I'm in my groove, but been out of my groove for a little bit. I got to get back in it. But um, at Chris Gronkowski, uh, Instagram, TikTok are definitely the two I use the most, but you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, really on everywhere. Uh, and then check out the business, Ice Shaker. It's iceshaker.com and follow us uh, at Ice Shaker. I appreciate it. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my my website at stephaniemalik.com.